Amen. Well, praise God. I want to wish everyone a happy uh, new year. I hope it'll be again a great um, a blessing to us as we go into 2024. And it's amazing to gather together and honor the Lord. There's so much that happens to go on on New Year's Eve as far as uh, fun, as far as frivolity. But we get to honor our great God. We get to praise Him this morning through songs, through scripture reading, through the preaching of God's Word. And I'm just so thankful for it. And I'm thankful for this chapter. It's amazing to go through um, uh, Acts, and last time we were, we were in this passage in Acts, we um, basically gave an introduction to Stephen. I mean, what, what moved Stephen? You know, why was he able to stand against uh, so much opposition, against so much persecution? And we looked at his character last time we were together. We see that this man was controlled by the Spirit of God. And in other words, he was so filled with the gospel, so filled with Scripture, that what came out of him were the Spirit... Uh, directed actions. We also saw that he was full of grace. He was a man who was full of grace and full of power. You know, he did many of the apostolic miracles, again, were done through his name. He was an apostolic representative. And therefore, again, to validate that message that he preached as far as the Lord Jesus Christ, we've seen, again, all, these tri- tri- all of these wonders. But the other thing that we see in this chapter that I, th- I think is so amazing is we see basically two things. And one is, you know, what is the whole purpose of the church? You know, we're, we're going to face opposition, and we do face opposition. What are, we to do? what are we to do? And we see, again, in this chapter, it is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how God is going to be magnified. We, he, he's magnified. Christ is made much of through the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see, again, how they overcame some of the opposition in response to that in verse number 7. And it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And I love the way that they just describe believers here because they describe believers here as disciples that's what a believer is a true believer is a follower is a learner is a lover of Jesus Christ that's what a disciple is he's a pupil of Jesus Christ he follows in his ways you know and so when you look at this chapter you really see what the church is to do no matter what the circumstances and that is to make much of Christ through the preaching through the propagating of this message but the second thing that we see is a rise in opposition and opposition comes in two fronts one happens to be in the church of Lord Jesus you know and it's amazing to look at you have the hellenistic uh, uh, group over here and the hebrew group that happens to be over here and here they're wondering if their widows are not being looked after and you see these problems arise, but you also see the godliness that they're not going to be de- deviate from the main purpose, that they're going to keep preaching the gospel. The other opposition that happens to arise is in the text that we're going to look at this morning. And so far, we've seen opposition from the religious leaders, from those who, again, who happen to be in power. But this becomes the society moves against those who happen to be, again, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me just say that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, we realize as we look at opposition today, so often churches are destroyed by the inside out, aren't they? You know, and it's amazing to look at it because when you look at that, they deviate away from the gospel. And I'm talking about good churches many times, deviate away from the gospel. And there's all this internal strife. And all the internal strife is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why we're doing this, the reason why we're we're kicking up a fuss or whatever it happens to be is we want Jesus to be glorified. And you see this so often. 
And what it does is deviate away from the message. And it really should burden our hearts. It really should mourn us in the deepest sense of our souls. You know, how many churches are destroyed many times from the inside. But we also see opposition again from the outside. You know, and this is the thing that you have to realize that when you look at our society that happens to be again around us, it's very dangerous. You know, there's many churches. In fact, I know many pastors who actually, again, in their churches, have the doors locked during service. And the reason why is because, again, of a fear that somebody could come in and do great harm. You know, and there's a growing animosity, a growing intolerance to anything that happens to be, again, a Christian, especially when Christians, you know, they want you to see the need of Jesus Christ, and therefore they're going to name sin. You know, and when we look at this growing opposition, we have to ask ourselves, how do we respond to it? You know, and certainly we, we, we don't want to be flippant. We just don't want to, again, give people a reason uh, many times to oppose us. We don't want to give unnecessary offense, but the, the danger and the hostility is real. I mean, when you think about it, even here in Canada, the laws that happen to begin on the land many times prohibit preaching certain aspects of God's word. You know, so if I was were to say this morning, uh, homosexuality is a sin, there's, and I'll say it, homosexuality is a sin. Let me say that there's laws that happen to be on the books where I could be persecuted for that. There happen to be, again, laws that happen to be on the books. If all of a sudden somebody is having some gender confusion and I come to them and I show them what biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is through the word of God, I could go to jail for that. You know, and the laws that happen to exist already then, we, we haven't even talked about the judgment of God. We haven't even talked about the need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the most popular models of uh, church growth today in light of this opposition is to make the church about something else other than Jesus. Make it about some political issue. Make it about some social ill that happens to be again out there. You know, after all, this is, not, this is something new. This is something we haven't faced before. But the question we have to look at and ask ourselves is, have we faced this as the church of Jesus Christ before? And when we look into this epistle that happens to be right here, here's an amazing thing that happens to be about, uh, about it. Their opposition was greater than anything that we have ever faced that happened to be in our life. You know, and their basic motto was, though all the world be against us, we are going to preach, we are going to proclaim, we are going to follow, we are going to love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and the thing that we have to realize, again, as we look at this passage of Scripture, and we think of this passage of Scripture, and we look at a society that happens to be, again, around us, the thing you have to realize is the human heart hasn't changed. You know, you know, the human disposition that, that, um, uh, that uh, hates the Lord Jesus Christ really has not changed. You know, people will be opposed. People are not for us just because we're winsome, just because we're nice, just because we're courteous. You know, and the other thing that you have to realize is that every single person that you meet in 2024 will have one main need. One, one need, and that is forgiveness of sins through the Lord Jesus and the only way that God has chosen to change the heart through the Holy Spirit is through an audible message of the gospel, through a verbal declaration of who Jesus Christ is. But this morning, again, as we go into 2024, I want us to realize this society. I want us to realize the landscape in which we live in and realize the opposition. I, I think it helps us so much 
in being prepared and being ready because you're going to face opposition. It could be, come from family members. It could come from neighbors. It could come from those who happen to be at work. It could even come from those in the church of Jesus Christ. And I think, again, to be forearmed, to recognize, again, the heart, recognize the disposition of the landscape really helps us. You know, and one of the things that I see in this passage of Scripture is I see, again, that there's a certain logic in the world that really is illogical. You know, and you can see that in verses 8 and following in our passage right here. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and those of the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. Now, let me just stop right there. You know, I think all of us know this. I don't think this is too deep. But there's only one truth, isn't there? You know, there's no such thing as opposing truths. You know, uh, opposing truths, both of these things can be wrong, but they can't be all uh, both right if they oppose one another. So if all of a sudden I say, here's a stoplight that happens to be again out front, and green means go, and stop means, or uh, red means stop, you know, that's all it can mean. If I say also, this is also true, that red means go, and green means stop, let me tell you, there's going to be huge repercussions out there. You know, they both can be wrong, but they both cannot be true. And I think we all recognize that, right? Right? There is truth. And we realize God is the God of truth. And that, that way, when God has spoken, when God has written, we realize any other truth claim has to bow beneath this. And it also becomes a measure of measuring all those truth claims that happen to begin out there. You know, and there's a study that happened to begin among Christians called apologetics. And apologetics is just basically this, a defense of truth. You know, and, and one of the reasons why apologetics is so popular is because when you take an untruth, there's always, here it is, a logical fallacy in the argument. Otherwise, there's some way to show its falsehood. You know, if somebody says, you know, Jesus is, didn't raise, uh, rise, rise from the grave, there's a way of showing the historical accuracy that Jesus really did rise. If someone says that our universe is billions and billions of years old, there's a way of showing the logical fallacy and showing there's signs of a creator God that happens to be again all around us. You know, and we realize that. You know, but this is what we have to realize about apologetics. Apologetics has its limitations. There used to be, again, what was called semi-rationalism. And semi-rationalism was very uh, popular among those who called themselves Christians many times. And it was basically this, that if I could answer everyone's question, everyone's objection to the faith of Jesus Christ, then people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. What they didn't realize is the problem is much deeper because it's a problem of the human heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about anti-intellectual. What we're talking about is the totality of what the person is inside. In other words, his intellect, here it is, his emotions, and here it is, his will. And with those three things, they love something else rather than Jesus Christ. And that's what motivates them to go in this direction or that direction. It's just like John's gospel writes in John chapter 3 and verse 19. It, it, it indicates that and it says, and this is judgment, the light has come into the world. And listen to what it says. 
You know, this is why they hate the light. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, in other words, loves these things, loves to participate in them, what happens? Hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So think of Stephen preaching. Think of him again as this great beam of light casting down and showing the need of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think the reaction is going to be in that kind of society? You know, as far as that kind of witness. Because you begin to see it in verse number uh, 9. It says, Then some of those uh, who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, synagogues were really, uh, really became popular during the Babylonian captivity because people could not go to Jerusalem during that time. And it really became popular um, uh, during the 400 silent years. That's, that's the time in between the closing of the Old Testament and the coming of John the Baptist right here. Synagogues really took on. And synagogues were basically places, various different places of learning, places of worship. And they would usually gather in geographics. You know, and here in Jerusalem, there was a huge number of synagogues. And they were all, again, clustered around geography. In other words, um, um, uh, a natural uh, place where people lived. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, in his commentary, says there could have been up to 480 synagogues in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem at this time. And there's three that are em- emphasized here. One is the freemen. Another happens to be the Cyrenians and Alexandrians. And the third one happens to be Cilicia and Asia. Now, now think about that. Because Saul of Tarsus is from the region of Cilicia. And we're going to meet him. And remember who Saul of Tarsus becomes. He becomes the Apostle Paul. And the reason why that's so important is because we're going to see him right at the end of chapter number 7. In other words, he's right here. He's in these debates. And remember, he's trained under Gamaliel, so he, he would have been entering in on these debates as far as who is Jesus Christ. And it's incredible because when you look at all of these various different synagogues, you know, they're camped here and they're camped here, and there's really animosity. Even though they're under this this Judaic banner, they really hate one another. They despise one another. But they come together against the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the amazing thing about Christianity. This is one of the, the great signs of the truth of Christianity. All the natural and sinful biases that happen to be again out there, whether it happens to be language, whether it happens to be socioeconomic detri- uh, de- deprivation that, that, that separates people, whether it happens to be race, you know, whatever it happens to be, politics, it all brings people, it all brings the people of God together. And you can even see this in this chapter. It's incredible. Here's these Hellenists and here, here's these Hebrews. But they come together and they work again through these differences because they want this message of Jesus Christ being magnified. If you ever want to see the truth of Christianity, just, just look at the makeup of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. These people that are gathered here even this morning in this congregation should want nothing to do with one another because of our sinful bias. But God brings us together. You know, and right here we see something taking place. And it tells us that they rose up, uh, these individuals that happened to be in these synagogues rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and in fact, I think good faith debates, you know, in other words, 
somebody's going to take this side, somebody's going to take this side, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to debate this and see what the truth is. I think those are healthy. I really do. I think it sharpens our focus. It allows us to understand our opponent if somebody has a different opinion. Why do they hold that a different opinion? Why do they call this truth? Why, why are they following this? And it really helps us understand it. But it also sharpens the focus of what happens to be truth. And I think, again, this is really good. You know, we really see it's really healthy for us. But look at what happens. Here's the outcome of this, this debate right here. It says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. You know, there was such a logic, such a power. It was so infused with the word of God that they could not, again, refute the argument that Stephen had. And when, they, when, 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 they, when it says that, that Stephen was full of wisdom, think of where that wisdom is coming from. That wisdom has a source. And the wisdom is in the word of God. So Stephen would have been arguing that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the hope of Israel from the Old Testament scriptures to show the validity again of who he happens to be. And we also see that he was full of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means by being full of the Spirit. And this is so important, you know, because I think arrogance and pride, especially among the people of God, when it comes even to apologetics many times, we can be arrogant, we can be proud, and the message gets lost. When it says that, that, uh, that right here that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that he came with a certain demeanor, with the fruit of the Spirit, which is uh, mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse number 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, think of this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So you can imagine, again, as he preaches, he really cared for those who happened to be, again, listening to him in this debate. He really wanted them to see the truth of Jesus Christ and have that thrill of sins forgiven and to follow him. Now think about it, because you have two sides here, right? Both claim that the word of God is the word of God, right? Both claim, one claims a truth here that Jesus is not the Messiah. The other claims the truth over here that Jesus is the Messiah. And where do you turn? You turn to the only place that you can go. And that happens to be to the ultimate authority, which happens to be God. Well, where do we hear from God? From his word, right? We hold that. We hold that. We bow beneath the word of God. Everybody would have said, okay, we're going to have this debate. And whatever side shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that this scripture, that this is what God has taught, we will bow beneath that, right? And here's the problem. The problem comes in because you have this so often. You know, I can remember um, on several occasions, I can remember going out for coffee with a gentleman because he had a trouble with God's sovereignty and salvation. And I said, well, let's, let's don't argue about it. Let's open up the word of God. You know, and he was sure beyond a shadow of a doubt. He had some verses ready, and he was sure beyond a shadow of a doubt. And we talked about those verses, and we brought some other verses in. And I can remember how frustrated and angry he was at the end. You know, is it okay we talk about, yeah, 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 yeah. We want, we want to honor God. We want to put ourselves underneath the word of God. Right? And here's the problem. The problem is both sides say, yeah, we will do this. 
But, look, but read at the end, it tells us that they could not, they could not again oppose his wisdom. They could not refute, withstand the wisdom and the spirit in which he spoke. You know, and I don't know how many conversations I've even had with people who um, don't believe in the Bible. I can remember talking to one gentleman one day, and he, and he said this to me. In fact, I was talking to a pastor friend, and he had an individual who said the exact same words. You know, I'd love to talk to you about these things, but I, but I don't want to destroy your faith. You, 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 you know your confidence in, in Christ. And I said, please destroy my faith. Please, please bring it on. And, 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 and it's amazing. And, and I said, is it, is it all right if we talk about these things? You know, if we talk about these things, will you listen if I have an answer for them? Yeah, I'll listen. I'll listen. Right? And these aren't difficult questions. They really aren't. They're answered in the Word of God. But here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. And it says in the text right here that they couldn't refute him. And you know what you do? If you're reading through the book of Acts for the first time, and you're reading through the book of Acts, you're reading through the book of Acts, and then you read that they could not refute his wisdom. What do you think would come next? If you've read the book of Acts for the first time, this is what I would think. I would think the same pattern follows. All of a sudden, 3,000 you know, bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus. All of a sudden, 5,000 came to Christ. All of a sudden, again, a multitude and the number of disciples increased. But that's not what happened. What happened, again, is something that we see all too often in the world that happens to be around us. And it's basically this. You know, if you can't beat somebody with an argument, you know, through the Word of God, if you can't, again, show your point of view from the Scriptures or whatever it happens to be, then change the argument. Make it about something else. Bring in some sort of innuendo that happens to be getting out there. Poison, poison the whole argument by attacking the character or whatever it happens to be, right? You look at the early, well, let's, let's read some verses first. Verses, uh, beginning at verse number 11, look at, look at what it says, because you can see them doing, do this, because they said, uh, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they said of false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Right? Just change the narrative. You know, you see that very early on in church history. Very early on, Christians were persecuted. In fact, in Rome, uh, they had to have many of their services in the catacombs. If you know what the catacombs are, they're basically underground graveyards. And, you know, and they used to meet there. And, of course, when they used to meet there, their common activity, one of their common activities was the Lord's table. And again, those words, this is my body, this is my blood. And they were uh, accused of being cannibals. They, they were accused, again, of, of sacrificing uh, babies. And the opposite was true. They used to go around various different spots in the Roman Empire, and here's these babies that were discarded by their families. Either they were a girl or they couldn't take care of them, and they were just left out to die. And Christians used to go out, and they used to gather up these children, and they used to bring them up as their own in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, and the opposite, again, is true. And you can even see that in a society that happens to be again around us. You know, I don't watch many films, you know, because I get, I get very, uh, I, get, I get very nauseated. You know, and, and one of the things that nauseates me, well, there's a couple of things that nauseate me. Well, one is how, how flippantly they use the Lord's name in vain. You know, something that used to be scorned, something that used to be looked upon, they take that name that's above every name and they use it as a curse word. And, you know, and the other thing that really um, nauseates me is how believers in Jesus Christ are many times portrayed. There's a bias against Christianity. You know, and we're not talking about the message. We're not talking about the gospel. We're not talking about what the scriptures say. This is, if you ever want to become a Christian, this is what a Christian is like. He is narrow. He is bitter. He is old. He is frustrated. He is unhappy and unfilled in his life. And I know there's examples of believers that happen to be again out there. But let me tell you, the true believer in Jesus Christ, the vast majority are fulfilled. They are happy. They have um, uh, purpose in their life. They have contentment that happens to be again in their life. They're generous. They're kind individuals. You know, what we would do better if, if Christianity was just wiped off the earth. Let me tell you, over the last 2,000 years, the greatest force for good, the greatest force for good that's been in our world has been the Christian church, the true Christian church. You know, there's hospitals, there, there is universities and schools that have been st uh, started, irrigation, you know, farming, all of these things for the welfare of mankind. But here's the thing, if you don't like the message, if you can't refute the message, change the narrative. Change what it's about. You know, and you can see this in this text that happens to be again right here. They cannot win the debate. They cannot show beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is not the Christ. Here it is, they cannot overcome the wisdom of this man. So in Acts chapter 6, in verse number 11, it says, And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now think of that. Think of that. Because those are, those are passion words, aren't they? They're, 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 they're words that, that create a flame inside of you if you happen to be a true lover of God. And think of it, because the Jews revered Moses. They revered the law of God. And here is somebody who wants to destroy the law of God. And the exact opposite is true. You know, he realizes that Jesus is the great fulfillment of the law. We can have salvation because, look, Jesus has obeyed the law perfectly. You know, he realized the exact opposite. Now, here it is. I said in the beginning, you know, you can look at this in Romans chapter 1 or wherever in Scripture that homosexuality is a sin. And here's the incendiary speech that comes out. You're a homophobe. You know what a homophobe is? Somebody's fearful of homosexuality. You know, somebody who's fearful of this person because... They, they have a so-called different sexual orientation. Let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am not fearful of any homose homosexual. I've talked to people who've been enslaved in this, in this sin. You know, shared the gospel to, to, to them. I told them that I care about them and love them. 
I have no ill feelings about anybody who's in the LGBTQ plus community that happens to be out there. And the reason why is because I realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that their need is the same as mine. Guess what I've done in my heart? I've lusted in my heart. Right? right? Guess what they've done in their hearts? They have lusted in their hearts. It's a sin against our holy God. And let me, let me say, out of love, again, we reach out and we show them where salvation, where deliverance really is found in Jesus Christ. But here it is. You know, you, know, you, 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 you just hate people. You, you know, you're just fearful. I'm not fearful. I realize the name, but it changes the narrative. We're no longer talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about what I fear, what I don't fear in life. And, and, and if you have a difference... You know, just change the narrative. I can remember one gentleman one time saying to me, I will never bring my family out to your church. And I asked him why. And he says, because you teach that there's a difference between men and women. And we do. It's called a complementarian view. You know, here's men, here's women. They have both equal status. They have both, again, equal standing before the Holy, uh, holy God. They're, they're both image bearers, equal image bearers before God. But God has given them them a difference in functionality. There is a reason why God created women and women. There is a reason why God created men and men, right? Well, I don't want my sons to become a chauvinistic pig, right? Okay, we're not talking about Jesus anymore, right? And here it is. That's various incendiary language. Now, they were out for service for a few times, and I asked them, you know, in fact, my wife asked him this question. Have you ever seen that at Emmanuel Baptist Church? Any signs of chauvinism? Well, no. Well, why are you bringing this accusation up? And why? Because if you don't like the message, and you can't refute the message, bring something else up. Twist, and that twisting many times becomes truth in people's hearts and people's lives. Because look at what, what happened. Here's these men, they're instigating, they're speaking behind the scenes. And look at what happens. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. So they stirred up the people. You're no longer having, again, these good faith, again, debates. Who is Jesus? You know, is there anything that happens to be in the scripture? You know, can we see that he is the Christ? Do we need to repent of our sins? Do we, do we need to cast them away? They're no longer, again, arguments like this. They're passionate, again, arguments, again, of anger. That happens to be, again, right there. And it's a whole sector. It's a whole sector of society now that's involved. And think of it, because everything has changed in this chapter. It's a major turning point right here. And the reason why is because the people now are against those who are of the way. It's different than chapter number four, and even in chapter number five, but in chapter number four, when Peter and John again heal the man who was, who was born lame at the gate, beautiful, and they preach Jesus Christ, they're arrested, and then we read in Acts chapter four, in verse number 21, because the Sanhedrin want to kill these men. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them. Now, why did they have no way to punish them? This is why. Because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, right? And a legitimate miracle had taken place. I mean, God, God's been here. 
You know, and all of a sudden, as I hear this message more and more and more and more and more and more, their animosity towards the Lord Jesus Christ, again, has changed. And their animosity towards those who happen to be, again, believers. Why? Men love darkness rather than the truth. And now they seize them. And we're not talking about the Sanhedrin. We're talking about the general populace. Seize them and bring them towards the Sanhedrin. And they're basically saying this, we want you to kill this guy. Put him on trial. Put him on trial for blasphemy. And we'll listen to the accusation that's brought against him because it says this, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and this law. And we have heard him say that Jesus will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, think about that. Does that sound familiar? Did you see that somewhere else in the New Testament? You know, where do we see that accusation? We see that accusation, that very same accusation against Jesus. Remember Jesus, right in John chapter 2? You know, you destroyed this temple, and I will raise it up three days later. And what did they do? They remembered those words. Even though they were clear that he was talking about his body and his bodily resurrection, they remembered those words, but they brought them against him. And you have that again over in Matthew chapter 26, beginning of verse number 59. It says, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, right? They're not interested in truth. They're not interested in what the scriptures say, that they might put him to death. That's what they wanted to do. That's what the crowd wants to do now. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And then listen to what it reads. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And no doubt, Stephen has been preaching about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You destroyed that temple, but God raised it up. And no doubt, again, he wasn't preaching against the law, but he was basically saying this, if you want to see the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, if you want to see the fulfillment of all the law, it is found in Jesus Christ. If you want to see the beauty of the law exemplified, look to Christ. You know, but here's the thing. If you don't like the message, change the message. And that was a hostility in the ancient world. And the reason why it's so necessary for us to think is because we think we're living in different times. Look at our technology. Look at, again, everything that we have today. We're living in different times. Right? People are so much more understanding. People are so much willing to listen and to adapt to change. But let me tell you, we see the rise of hostility against the church and the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do? You know, 2024 could be a very, very difficult year. And what do we do? And here's a better question. What did Stephen do? And Stephen preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Christ. He rejoiced in Christ. And I think one of the reasons why so often we are bent, we have that bent towards that, is we look at something like church growth and God being glorified through church growth as something that's natural. Isn't it true? 
you know, you just have to create a culture. You have to create a message. You have to create, again, some sort of uh, a feeling that happens to be in people that will want, to, want them to get to join your church. And when you look at the largest churches that happen to be in the world today, they have left the gospel. They are growing. Look, we're growing. We're doing it. God's being magnified. And they look at church growth as something that's natural and not supernatural. I mean, aren't you amazed by the book of Acts? Right? Right after they uh, choose Matthias, how how many apostles are there? This is not hard, by the way. 10 plus 2, 12. That's all there is. Common fishermen. You know, and, and here's these powers that happen to be against them. And you would be sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Christianity would be destroyed. I mean, who's Stephen? Do you, do you ever read about him in a secular history book? Who's Stephen? You know, but here's the thing. Christianity is supernatural. Because you read of Stephen in verse number 8 again, and it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. It's something supernatural, isn't it? God can take that message of the gospel, and he can do something that's so amazing, and that is he can create a new creation that loves, that adores, that trusts in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, after he was converted, wrote in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 16, these words, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? That's what it is. The church will always face opposition. And though all happen to be against us, we preach Christ, Him crucified risen from the grave. There is truly life found through him. Let me just end this morning with Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it goes like this. Listen to what it says. The word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us side us. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. You can almost hear Stephen singing this. The body they may kill. Listen to what it says. It doesn't matter how much persecution there happens to be out there. God's truth abideth still. And here's the glory. His kingdom is forever. As we enter 2024, it's got to be all about him. It's got to be all about Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Oh, Father, we realize as we look at our lives, Lord, there's opposition all around us. Lord, we have opposition many times radiant in our families. Lord, there's some uh, that want to instigate an argument. There's some maybe that want to mock our faith. There's some that want to ridicule our belief in Jesus Christ. Lord, we realize many times, even when we go in the workplace, we might not be the popular person. We might not get that promotion. 
we might not get that raise. Lord, and many times it's not because we haven't worked hard or labored hard. Many times it's our faith. Lord, many people that happen to be again around us will despise us. Lord, because of the innuendos, because of the false um, uh, and erroneous teaching about what Christianity truly is. But yet through that all, even as we looked at them, at the accusations that are brought against Stephen, we realize our mission hasn't changed. Lord, though all the world is against us, we preach Christ, him crucified, yea, risen from the grave. I just pray, Lord, that none of us that happen to be right here that claim Jesus Christ this morning will waste 2024, but use it as an opportunity of making much of him and proclaiming him, no matter what the cost. We thank you. We thank you for the gifts. We thank you for the power that is ours through your word and through your spirit. Just be with us, Lord, and help us to proclaim Christ. We thank you so much. And we come in his name and for his glory. Amen. Brother.